0: Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at Candeochurch.com. Wow. Well, good morning, Candeo. Um, as uh, Cody said, my name is Brian Hayes. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. I've uh, been an elder for a couple of years now. We were one of the—we we came to Candeo right when it first started, so we've been here for quite a while. This is my first time teaching uh, on this stage like this. So I'm a little nervous. I'm a little excited. Well, I'm a lot excited, just a little nervous. So our, uh, our passage this morning is 2 Corinthians five eleven through 21. So let me read that for us. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died, then all died, and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him this way. Therefore, if anyone is in in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation." That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So I wanted to start this morning with a, uh, with a, with a story. So a couple weeks ago, right before Thanksgiving, Matt Linzer and I decided to go up to UNI. We're gonna share, share our faith with some, some people up there. We're gonna to talk to them about Christ. Um, and the way I like to do this is I like to do it with a kind of a survey approach, if you will. And what I ask people is like, one, do they have any spiritual beliefs? Two, I like to ask, you know, what do they think happens when they die? When they walk out of here into eternity, what happens? I like to ask them to them, "Who is Jesus?" And always, kind of the the kicker question is is if they were wrong, would they want to know? So Matt and I sat down with a guy named Ben, and Ben is on a student visa from France. So he grew up in France. He's here uh, taking his master's degree in communication. And so we asked him these questions, and you know he grew up going to church. Uh, occasionally on holidays and stuff like that, but he really had no spiritual beliefs to to, to speak of at all. Um, And when we asked him about what he thinks happens when he walks out of here, when he dies, he said, well, I I guess it's maybe like sleeping or something, but who can really know? Who can know what what happens then because nobody's come back to tell us, right? So to him, Jesus was just a guy that lived 2,000 years ago. Now, he really... He actually thinks that he was a guy that lived 2,000 years ago, um, actually believes he's probably a good teacher, otherwise we probably wouldn't still be talking about him, but saw no divinity in him at all. And I asked him my kicker question, you know, would you want to know if you were wrong? And it's kind of sad, he said, no, I don't think you can can know, and I don't really have time to sit here and listen to you talk. Um, It was kind of harsh, but but it was the truth. So I left him with a gospel track, which is just like a little postcard that tells you how you can know Jesus. And Matt and I walked on. Um, He was close to the truth. See, one day Ben will walk off into eternity and may forever wish that he had listened to us on that day. Um, He's completely oblivious to the judgment that awaits. And only about 2% of US Christians regularly, regularly share their faith. At that rate, many more like Ben will never hear the gospel. And that's what this scripture is all about. So kind of the big idea here is God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us ministers of reconciliation. That's kind of the overarching theme. Let me say that again. God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us ministers of reconciliation. And I kind of break this up into three main points as I, as I was going through the, the message that we will cover today. One is the means of our reconciliation. How did it occur? The second is the motivation for us to share it. And third is what is the actual message of reconciliation? So let's get into it. Starting with means. Um, God is the central figure in all of this. If you take nothing else from this, remember that everything about salvation comes from God. In fact, it's emphatic in verse 18. It says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. It was he who determined to do, it was God who determined to do the reconciling. There's nothing that we could do of our own accord. It had to be from God. Now, we should take some comfort in this because here's the the reality. If it was dependent on us, then we would be forever wondering, is there... um, is there something more that I need to do? Is there something that I did that screwed it up? But because it's from God, it can be sure, it can be, it can be absolute. We can know for sure that it is true. So it's dependent on Him and not on anything that we have done or even could do. Verse 15 says, He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. He has brought us from death to life. Cody talked about that just a minute ago in our, in our announcements. We, we've gone from darkness to light um, and from death to life. We were not even alive spiritually. Um, Jesus spoke uh, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 about being born again. See, we need to be born again because we, we're alive physically, but dead spiritually. We've actually... Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. Sin has made us like walking corpses, unable to be made right by our own means or by our own power either. Um, It required the intervention of God through Christ, dying for us, being raised to life, for death to be defeated. The third thing in in this area of the means of our reconciliation is in verse 19. He's committed the message of reconciliation to us. See, we've been commissioned now as his people. And if you think of the Great Commission, um, he's telling us, he's calling us to go and make disciples of all nations. He's entrusted the mission to us and empowered us to even carry it forward um, through his Holy Spirit. And in fact, it actually took him making us into new creations for that to be true. Verse 17 says, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things are new, old things have passed away. So in order to empower us and prepare us and and give us the words and the things to say, uh, to to carry this message, we actually had to be made new. Um, And the interesting thing too, is that in making us new, it required more power, more effort on the part of God to make us a new creation than actually the first creation, the creation of the entire universe because of what it took. And that's the next thing. Um, Most importantly, and if we take nothing else, please take this. Most importantly, he has through himself made it all happen. Verse 21 says, and verse 21 is sort of the, the gospel in short, in a single sentence. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him the right, we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read that one more time. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to just pray for, just a, pray for us for just a second here. Um, Father, help us to catch a glimpse of what this means. Of the incredible sacrifice that you bore on our behalf. Um, I don't think, Lord, that we can ever fully grasp what you've done here, but help us to get a glimpse. Help us to just get a little taste of what it meant for you to become sin for us, and help that drive us. May it be what, what causes us to grow deeper in love with you, to grow more uh, committed to doing the things that you want us to do. Be our Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Um, so God has supplied the means of our justification, making us to be as if we had never sinned and declared us righteous. That's a pretty good exchange. Think of it. Christ, who knew no sin, he didn't sin on his own at all. He became sin for us. He became our sin bearer. God, who is perfect and made us perfect in the beginning. Cannot be just if he just if he ignores sin. Right? Someone will always absorb injustice when it when it happens, whether it's the victim or the guilty when they're punished. We ex- you know this. We expect wrongs to be made right. We expect it, um, and he is perfect and his just and in his justice. As a good judge, he must punish criminals. So must God, just like a good judge that we go to in our criminal courts has to punish criminals, God also must punish sinners. Um, A judge is not good if he just lets criminals go, no. They must pay for their crimes. In the same way, the very goodness, the very goodness of God is what condemns us as sinners because justice is in his very nature. He is perfectly just. He's also, he's also God of love. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the, to the knowledge of the truth. How do you square that? How does that work? How can one who is perfect in justice, who must judge every sin, also forgive sinners? That's what we're going to explore here a little bit. Um, recall Jesus in the garden. So thinking of back to on the night of his crucifixion, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and three times he prayed to the Father, if it's possible, Lord, take this cup from me. And and the Father said no three times. And at the end of the day, he said, nevertheless, your will be done, Lord. But my question to you is, what was in the cup? What was in that cup that was so terrible that it would cause Jesus to be in so much agony that he would sweat drops of blood? I don't know if you know this, this is actually a medical condition where if somebody is in extreme duress and agony, they can actually have their pores burst open on the inside and they will sweat blood. That's the, that's the condition that Jesus was in. What would have caused him to sweat drops of blood, be in such agony? Well, verse 21 tells us, so Jesus, the son of God, the second member of the Trinity, he was tempted in all ways, but was without sin. He never had his own sin. He, he raised the dead. He freed the captives. He made lame, the lame walk. He fed 5,000 people from nothing. He walked on the water. He did all these miracles. He, I mean, he was the very one who created the universe. He's the one that holds it all together. This is the one who would become our sacrifice, who would become sin for us. And when Jesus was seen by John the Baptist, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, taking on my sin and all the sin of all who would believe. That is what was in the cup. You see, in doing doing that, on his death on the cross, he absorbed all the wrath that we deserved on himself, and he died the death that we should have died. And a lot of times we think that the worst part of the crucifixion was the, I mean, you guys have seen the passion, the, the whipping and the beating, the crown of thorns. I'm glad I said that right because I kept saying the thorn of crowns. So um, the crown of thorns, the, and just the agony of the crucifixion, the nails in his hands and feet. As bad as that was, because that would have been pretty darn bad, As bad as that was, for the first and only time in eternity, Jesus was not in fellowship with his Father. That was what was in the cup. That was what was so terrible. And here's the thing, think of the first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, for all of eternity, for longer than we can even imagine, Jesus has loved the Father with all of his mind, soul, body, everything that's in him, he has loved the Father. And yet now he cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason that God forsook him for that time and he died was because he was taking on our sin. And it was finished. The substitution was made And by his death, Jesus once for all paid the debt of sin that we could never pay. And by that sacrifice, the exchange happened. This awesome exchange that we became the righteousness of God in him. No longer would the record of our sins and trespasses be seen, but rather the righteousness of Jesus was credited to us. That is amazing. That is like, I think sometimes we forget how awesome that really is. That this is how much our Savior loves us. Um, Jesus is both the just and the justifier, right? So that that sort of thing that's really hard to square. Like, how can He be perfect in love and also perfectly just? It's because He was. He is perfectly just. He's also the justifier. He's the one that took the punishment that we deserved. That's how He does it. Um, and. Jesus, so as both the just and the justifier, perfection passes to us and our sin is removed. His sacrifice was accepted in the powerful demonstration of the resurrection. He is alive and so are we. All this is from him and through him. Only, he alone is the means of our reconciliation. So everything is from God so that we can know for sure that it's that it's it's bought and paid for, so the second part of this scripture is about motivation. You see only about two percent share this glorious truth. how can, why is that? Um, we 've not really found the proper motivation to overcome our fear. I would submit, and there's some other things that that play into that uh, so it is a strange thing that when you open your mouth to boldly share the, the gospel, there's fear involved. And here's the reason. It's because it's a spiritual battle. Like you're fighting against all the forces of darkness when you open your mouth and you share the gospel with somebody who has never heard it before, somebody who's lost, who's part of Satan's kingdom. And he doesn't want you to share that. And even Paul asked the, asked the people to pray for his boldness because this is, it's hard. And we have this fear of people. We have a fear of looking dumb or loss of reputation. Um, but I think that one of our greatest fears also is just that we might do it wrong. That we might say something that will lead somebody astray or, or they won't know what, what, what to do. You know, we, we just don't know what to say because we don't practice this very often. Whatever the reason this passage supplies, reasons to be motivated to share the gospel. And the first one is the fear of God, verse 11. Uh, Therefore, since we know the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Anytime you see a therefore, you should ask why it's therefore. Well, the therefore is therefore, verse 10, which says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ as believers to be judged and possibly rewarded for the good things we've done. A really good measure of what we will be rewarded for relates to how you use your time in this life, this time that we have now, to impact eternal things. So what are eternal things? There's not very many of them. Uh, they're, they're amazing, but there's, there's the Word of God. This is eternal. It says of itself that we will have it forever. Not one word will, will pass from it. So we can study our Bibles now. We'll be able to study our Bibles into eternity when we're in heaven. God is eternal. We just spent the morning, we're doing it now even, worshiping God, right? And the Bible says that we will worship God into eternity. We get to do it now, we'll get to do it then. We get to read his word now, we'll get to read his word then. The other thing that's eternal is people. Everybody is eternal. We will never pass will never be gone, will never cease to exist. And how we impact the lives of the people around us matters into eternity. And that that includes how do we impact the people that that know Jesus? How do we help them grow and be edified and become more like Christ? But it also includes people who are lost. How do we we handle this message that we're given? Do we tell people about it, or do we keep it to ourselves? Because here's the thing, All those other things you can do in heaven, you can't do that, why? There are no lost people in heaven. They're all in a different place. So you only have this one chance, this time while we're here in this world, in this time until we pass into eternity to share with a lost person. You will never see a lost person again when you breathe your last. So what did you do with the time that you're given? And here's the thing, this drove Paul. Almost out of his mind in verse 12 and thirteen he talks about being out of his mind being if he says if I'm in my sound mind it's for you but I'm, I appear to be out of my mind um, he's overly fanatical and at times caring nothing for his outward appearance or reputation and he's doing that his heart is for the salvation of the of the Corinthians and he has this heart because he wants to be commended by God how and here's the here's the terror part here's the fearful part is that how terrible it will be to stand on that day and have nothing worthy of commendation. That, you haven't, that we haven't done anything uh, with, with the message that we've been given. And we have nothing worthy to be commended for on, when we stand before God, when we stand before Christ. And I wanna be clear, this judgment is a judgment for believers. There's a different judgment for people in general on whether they go to heaven or hell, right? Um, Another thing, love. Kind of going the other direction, right? So verse 14 says, the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. So is this love that that motivates us? Is it the love that we have for Christ or is it the love that Christ has for us? And I would say it's both. Yes and yes. Um, Knowing what he has done, how can we be silent? I mean, we run around telling people about shows to binge on Netflix, and we run around telling people about the best movies that we've seen. We talk about good meals and good coffee and different things like that, and yet sometimes we're silent. How can we hold in such good news that God has reconciled sinners? Think of it, God has reconciled sinners. It's possible while we were still sinners Romans five eight tells us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is amazing. Do you take it lightly? Just take time today, meditate on the love that God has for you. That meditate on the love that God has, that He has reconciled sinners. He has. I lost my place. Meditating so. That all being dead, meditate, this is the love of God, that all being dead, we're given the possibility of life and righteousness through Christ's death. This love is what compels us. It almost should control you. That's, that's the verb that's there. So another thing that should, should uh, motivate us is compassion. Verse 16 says, from now on then we regard no one according to the flesh. I think that it, uh, it doesn't... Uh, the Christian standard Bible doesn't say it that way. This is the ESV, but um, I love that from now on, since he's been saved, since God has made him a new creation, he doesn't look at anything the same anymore. And he, he, he regards no one according to the flesh. In other words, he's looking with eternal eyes. He's looking at people and seeing them as they are. These are eternal people. And, A lot of people say you only live once, but we know the truth. Everybody lives forever. You only live forever. It's just a matter of where. And all people of all times are still alive, whether they're a child of God or an enemy of God, from Adam and Eve until now and into the future. So this truth should drive us with an urgency to share the truth with everyone we can. This is the main thing of the church. This is our main duty and what we've been saved for. And this is a little provocative, but what would you say to a group of firefighters who polished their truck while an orphanage burned? A clean truck's important, but the main thing for firefighters is to save lives. And I'll tell you, About 98% of the church is busy polishing the truck, and that's the sad truth. The church must be about the main thing. One of my favorite guys, his name is Mark Cahill, and if some of you youth group people have actually heard me do this before, but um, he talks about every second, two people die. Two people just walked in to eternity. And here's the thing, do you care? but a much, much harder question, and I'll let you answer it in your own heart. Do you care enough to do something about it? From this stage, a lot of times we quote uh, Charles Spurgeon, and we quote him a lot because he has a way with words. He's super eloquent, has a huge vocabulary. He just loved the Lord. But one of my favorite quotes from him is he says, do something, do something, do something. Can you grasp that, right? So, um, so start somewhere, like there are so many opportunities for you to begin. I mean, you don't have to jump into the mission field, cold Turkey. Like we should start somewhere, start with handing out tracks, get, get a pack of gospel tracks and hand them out to people. Um, you could, you could serve in Candale kids and you could talk to three and four year olds about the gospel. If you can talk to three and four-year-olds, then maybe you can talk to 11 and 12-year-olds, and then maybe you can talk to 20-year-olds, et cetera. Um, You you might just find somebody who regularly shares their faith and just go with them. Just go with them and watch them do what they do. Sit there and pray for the person that they are uh, witnessing to. So you could talk to a friend, you could talk to a stranger. Oddly enough, I find it more comfortable to talk to strangers than to talk to friends or family or coworkers. And that's just because usually if I talk to a stranger, that's the last time I'll probably talk to them, unless they come to Jesus and then you know, maybe I'll get an opportunity to do that. But if I talk to a coworker or a friend, well, they might think something about me. Maybe they, I, I might lose reputation or whatever, but we shouldn't really care about that. You could go to the Gospel 101 class that Cody talked about. If you're concerned about how you do this, like you're concerned that maybe you're going to say the wrong thing, Gospel 101 will prepare you for that. So um, verse 20 says, I I just would say it's an honor. Um, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Ambassadors are often referred to as honorable such and such or even excellency. Um, We are representatives, ambassadors of the most high God. The high King of heaven has called us to represent the kingdom of God as his ambassadors to this lost world. We're not of this world. We do not belong to the world, yet we are here for a short time to represent the kingdom of God. And we, we come bearing a treaty Again, that's what ambassadors often do is they they bring a treaty. Well, we come bearing a treaty of reconciliation to all who will listen. We have the honor of being used by God as his ambassadors and given the mission, which is to just appeal on God's behalf that you be reconciled, that the lost people in this world be reconciled, that it is possible. I would say the last thing that should motivate us is joy. Joy should always motivate us. Uh, our mission here at Candeo is, is to help us find our greatest joy in Jesus. Above all, joy should be motivating to us. I'll say some more on that in a little bit. So last, what is the message? What is this message that we're supposed to share as his ambassadors? Our mission is to appeal on God's behalf to all people in all the world to be reconciled. But what does that mean? So. As an illustration, and because I'm called as his ambassador, I want to appeal right now. Surely somebody in this auditorium maybe doesn't know Christ. You're not right with God, you've not been reconciled, and therefore you remain alienated. So here's the message to you. Um, First, you are alienated. You have sinned against the creator of the universe a holy and perfect God. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is perfection. That is what God demands to let us in to heaven, It's perfection, perfect righteousness. And how do you know whether or not you measure up? All you gotta do is look into the 10 Commandments. Have you ever lied before? Have you ever stolen anything, even if it's small? Have you ever used the Lord's name as a curse word? It's called blasphemy. Have you ever looked with lust? Jesus said that's the same as adultery in Matthew chapter 5. Same chapter, he said, if you've ever hated somebody, it's the same as murder. And just so that you do, you're not thinking that I'm some self-righteous person up here, I've broken all 10 of the 10 commandments. I am guilty before God, just like everybody else. So you will be judged and sentenced. God is just. Would you be innocent or guilty? Think of it. Standing before the judgment seat of God on whether or not he's going to let you into heaven or hell, or, or send you to hell. The, the truth of the matter is is that every thought, thought you've ever had, everything you've ever said, and everything you've ever done will be laid before your eyes. I say your eyes because God has already seen it all. He's, always, he's already aware of it going to take his power to let you see just how bad it is. And when we see the depth of our sin, we'll know that we are guilty. Think of it on your own. Would you be innocent or guilty? So Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed to a person who wants to die and after that the judgment. So that's the judgment. Would you be innocent or guilty? If you were guilty, Revelation 21.8 tells us what the sentence is. The cowardly, the faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The wages of sin is death. That's what Romans 6.23 says. What we earn is that second death in the lake of fire by our sin. But we can be reconciled. The second half of Romans 6.23 says that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. God made the one who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel. This is what he has done. He has taken all of our sin and put it on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ has paid the penalty that we deserved. And all we need to do is accept that. All we need to do is is say, God, well, Romans 10, 9 and 10 actually tells us what we do need to do. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. How can he say that? How can the Bible say that? It's because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. God has made the way. It is sure and it is real, and it is as near as in your mouth right now. Everybody can be saved if they will just come, if they will tell him that he's Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. Just two verses later, it says that today is the day of salvation in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So take time today, take time now. Tell him with your mouth that he is Lord over your life and ask for forgiveness, believing that Jesus is risen, having taken the wrath and punishment of God on your behalf. Do that and you will be saved. You will be reconciled to God. That is the message. So, I want to conclude with a story. So, same day, Matt and I were up at UNI. And so, we talked to Ben, we walked on from Ben, and it was kind of sad. We saw a couple of students that were sitting at another table. We sat down with them, and same approach, same uh, survey approach. You know, do they have any kind of spiritual beliefs? And they, and they, like many college students, they had grown up going to going to um, not to college, going to uh, church, and uh, um, now since they had left home, they were struggling with getting into church and going there, and just being faithful in that. And you could see it on their faces that that, that was bugging them, you know? Um, and they both believe, as far as Jesus is concerned, when we asked them about that, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died on a cross. Um, they do believe generally that who Jesus is, that the, 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 the Jesus that the Bible talks about is who they, they think is real. And when we asked them, about would they go to heaven or hell? Like what happens? And here's where their error is. Like they, they are looking at cosmic scales, right? My good will outweigh my bad. The moralism where if I live a really good life, then that's good enough. Um, and, and that's neat, but it, it's not true. So I asked them, would you wanna know if you're wrong? And they said, yes. And I shared with them the message that I just shared with you all. And I was able to walk them through how they could be reconciled and God was working on both of them. And I say that because it's not about your eloquence and it's not about how, how good of a salesperson you are or anything. God does the saving. God does the saving. We're just to be faithful with the message. So Matt and I were faithful with the message and God was working on them and they both said they wanted to be reconciled and prayed with Matt and I to trust Jesus. I had no idea that two people would go from death to life that day, but it was a joy. You just never know how God will use you as his ambassador. We only need to be faithful. We only need to faithfully share with people, and God will give us the courage. He'll give us the words. He'll do the saving. We just have to share the message. And joy, there will be joy in serving him. This should be our greatest motivation. Like I said, I would come back to that. It's never about being dutiful or doing the right things. It's, it's about just the delight in serving Christ faithfully. And here's the thing, this is what motivated it all. From the very beginning, from, from eternity past, Hebrews twelve two says that for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Joy was Christ's motivation, knowing that he would fulfill God's just requirements and sit at his right hand. He was faithful to fulfill his calling and never has there been a time when joy has not accompanied faithfulness. So just be faithful with the, wherever he places you and wherever you are, be faithful with the message and be able to share it with people. In conclusion, God has given us the means, the motivation, and the message we are to share as his ambassadors. He has reconciled us to himself through Christ making us ministers of reconciliation. Let me pray for us. Father, it is with great joy that uh, we are able to serve you, and help us to just be faithful, Lord. Help us to, to be faithful with the message that you've given us. Help us to uh, share with the people that are around us, and help us to do something, to get involved in some way. Take a step this week, and God, that's for all of us. All of us can be more bold in, our, in how we share the message. Uh, empower us. We know that you will. We love you. And we know that you love us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.